0: The city boy, give him your best, and nothing like the rest. Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah. Domain and have your people moving. That's a small glimpse into the Nipsey moving. To anybody still confused as to what he was doing. Make out the hood to keep us trapped. The red line is the probably the prize if you live by black. I don't think they hear me though. Okay. Gentrify your own hood before these people do it. Claim eminent domain and have your people moving. That's a small glimpse into what Nipsey was doing. But anybody still confused as to what he was doing. The neighborhood designed to keep us trapped. They redlined for so property crimes if you live by blacks. They depress the asset and take the property back. It's a ruthless but a genius plan, in fact. So now we fighting on the scraps. Crab's in the barrel, but the crabs don't belong in the barrel. Well, they ain't never tell us that. So in the barrel, we gon' act like we act. We can easily get out the barrel. We stand on each other's back. Whoever gets on top, as long as they stay attached, they can pull everybody out. I was doing just that. I told neighborhood to stay close. A hundred million dollars on your schedule lay low. Tell your team to be on point in the places that they go I never treat to get killed in the place that he called home How we gonna get in power with you the source. Y'all like to run off on the plug. So of course That ain't lit. That's a means to an end Me and my team was playing the plug ahead of plan Sometimes he's only making a thousand a joint that ain't no money, but that ain't the point. So those 92 bricks was only 92,000. So y'all can close your mouth. It ain't nothing for y'all to wow. But it is starting to study. We was chasing our goals, not chasing money. Niggas chasing goals, we find that funny. I pull up in the road, gonna want me. But I don't want no, I want the wife. Somebody to bounce these ideas off at night. I be going to sleep hoping they visit me. That young king had a lot of tools to split with me. And we ain't gotta leave the hood physically. But we gotta leave that shit mentally. Somehow, way. I'm gonna make it up out the hood someday.
1: Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us a chance to come together to talk about working cooperatively. Somehow, some way, we have to do better for each other, for the communities that we represent, for the kingdom of God that we represent. I pray that you will use this time that we have together to challenge how we think about rugged individualism. Push us into thinking collectively that our salvation is wrapped up in the salvation of one another. For one to come up is not enough. It is important for us all to come up. Help us see that grounding through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, I want you to praise God for this band, um, for Corey and Grandy. So we're continuing this series of preaching titled Jay-Z, Du Bois, and the Book of Acts. Um, the thing that these three have in common is this idea of cooperative economics and working together collectively. And so I've been beating this drum not only throughout this month, but also um, throughout the last year. And we as a church community have embraced this idea. And so last year we started redirecting, one, we started reimagining Tithes and offerings as actually cooperative economics, right? It is us every week pulling our money together cooperatively um, to put it towards some common purpose. And so we started thinking about what if we reimagine those funds and started to think about their possibilities beyond simply church programming. What if we began to think about them as tools? for our mutual uplift. And so we started doing that last year, and some of the things that you guys did through your giving, as well as the sacrifices that were made through having fewer in-person services and redirecting those funds, is we did things like provided um, small business grant of $10,000. We did another thing like providing uh, home down payment assistance for one of our members to purchase the house that she grew up in. Uh, and then this year, we have started off uh, getting into more good trouble uh, through providing uh, debt repayment grants of up to $1,000 for every member that applies for it, and so far we've gotten 20, and I believe that we will be able to fund all 20 of them. That's, that is thanks to you guys, amen, thanks to you guys dreaming different, being willing to think different, and make some sacrifices. Um, we cut some in-person services last year and also this year. And 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 everybody is still saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy, Holy Spirit, I, I assume. Um, but what we have been able to do through making those changes and sacrifices is impact uplift. And then let's not forget about those that have donated to the Cooperative Economics or Community Fund so that we could put funds in place for this uh, debt repayment initiative. So um, so that's a bit of what we've been doing. So we're already practicing it. I'm preaching this series just to push us to go further uh, and also to reinforce this, um, this idea of working cooperatively, because I believe that it is not only something I deeply believe in and that we deeply believe in, but I believe it is a deeply biblical principle. Um, and it's interesting, as you start to consider this, the other sources that think this way as well, which is why I brought in Jay, why I brought in Du Bois, because these are not um, thoughts that are unique to us, but they are also, spatter- they are also um, ideas that are spattered throughout uh, a lot of other people as well. Let me give you this quote from Du Bois, and then we'll jump into the book of Acts, and I'll get into the sermon. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois is quoted as saying, Negroes are being taught to think that any way, any method which leads to individual riches is the way of salvation. Once again, being taught to think that any method which leads to individual riches is the way of salvation. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, verse 35 uh, through 30, 34 through 35, and we'll jump right into the sermon. It says there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For this time that we have together, I want to talk about collective salvation, collective salvation. I want to raise a question, but I want to phrase it in a way that is different from the common usage. So rather today than asking what must I do to be saved, I want to raise the question to you this morning, what must we do to be saved? I want to suggest to you that Jesus has more in mind than soul salvation if we were to take at face value the stories that are recorded about him in the Gospels. Uh, he has more in mind than soul salvation, but beyond that, these ideas of social salvation and also physical salvation. Because when he talked about the hungry being fed and the sick being cared for and the so-called least of these being supported, that those had nothing to do with souls. That that was about the temporal needs the everyday needs that people have. It spoke to the physical aspect of human beings and how humans relate to each other socially. Those are also the things that Jesus wanted to save. And so back to the question, what must we do to be saved? Saved from the vulnerability of poverty, from the scariness of lack, from the darkness of loneliness, from the trouble of grief, from the harm that could come upon our bodies, saved from selfishness, from misogyny, from hate, from bitterness, from exploitation, from homelessness, from food insecurity. What must we do to be saved? I know you got your ticket to heaven in your hand. I know that you have your soul anchored in Jesus Christ and your eternal security saved. But I raised the question to you this morning, what about the rest of it? Because for some of us on our drive here today to come to church with our saved souls, we saw some hell that some people were living in. We saw on this 28 degree morning in Chicago some people whose night was spent in a tent. There's still much to be saved, and so I raised the question what must we do? Not not just us as individuals, and not even just us in this room, but if we begin to broaden our imaginations and think collectively, what must we do to be saved? Yes, the emphasis is on the word we because the problems of us cannot be solved with I. Yet yeah, we need each other. Therefore, today I want to talk about collective salvation and I want to push against your ideals of rugged individualism and every person for themselves and pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of thinking. I want to push against all of that to get you to see that our only hope is in collective salvation. Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nimhart wrote about Du Bois, wrote about his economic thought, and she stated that he believed that cooperatives would provide the economic opportunity that were, provide, that were denied to black folks and would allow us to serve the common good rather than being slaves to the market forces. She later on says, Du Bois predicted that the pursuit of individual economic advancement was going to be that thing that hindered, ultimately, black folks' growth and development. Our collective salvation, let me say to you, will not come by simply individual come-ups. It will not come by getting more black billionaires. It will not come through every person for themselves kind of thinking. It will not come through selfishness. If you think that you can individually hoard your way to peace, safety, and prosperity, you are wrong. You are wrong. Because those of us who have been able to pull together a little bit of change would have to admit the precariousness, the fearfulness that you carry, that those without will come and take what you have. It is not enough to come up alone. We need collective salvation. Collective salvation will only come, y'all, through cooper- cooperation. Let me submit again that this is not just my deeply held belief, but this is also a deeply biblical ideal. So here's the main point that I want to push forward today. The main point is simply this, that following Jesus the liberator means forsaking rugged individualism for collectivism, excuse me, and limited collectivism for collective salvation. Following Jesus the liberator means forsaking rugged individualism and limited collectivism for collective salvation. Let me, uh, first of all, share with you that following Jesus the liberator means forsaking individualism. Before I jump into this point, I wanna show this quick. It's like a 20 second video.
0: Ms. Hutchinson, I also wanna thank you about bringing up the poverty draft and this idea of a bootstrap. You know this idea and this metaphor of a bootstrap started off as a joke because it's a physical impossibility to lift yourself up by a bootstrap, by your shoelaces. It's physically impossible. The whole thing is a joke.
1: Thank you. So this notion of rugged individualism is just a part of American folklore. It It is impossible to make it alone. But none of us can say that we are solely responsible for our own successes or failures. Some teacher or some person taught us to read. Some people in some community pooled money and resources together, whether they had kids in the school or not, and they gave their money through taxes so that you could be educated. If you were homeschooled, you were still schooled. In a home that somebody else provided for you and you got schooling that somebody else provided for you. If you built a business, you leveraged resources that were likely a part of the public goods. You leveraged the internet that you did not create in order to promote your business and to sell your goods. You use the internet to email potential clients. You use Zoom that somebody else created or Microsoft Teams that somebody else created to be able to communicate with other people. None of us, no matter how much hard work or personal effort we put into anything, can ever claim to be self-made. We are all communally made. Other people have poured into us. And so this notion of rugged individualism is a part of an American folklore invention. We've been taught, though, to believe this lie and to embrace this lie. It's also interwoven into our theology. Uh, Some of you heard Carla say this. I think it was in a community group last year. But think about how many of our Christian songs include or their focus is about individualism versus collectivism. It is Jesus and me. It is God and me. The songs are about a personal encounter with God, a personal relationship with God. Versus how many of the songs are about Christians in community with each other? in relationship with each other, getting along with each other, solving problems with each other, conquering the world with each other. Rather than that, it is all about the individual. And so the Ameri- in the American Christian psyche, we see God as the father and us as only children. On a play date, a daddy-daughter date, a father-son date, Just us and our daddy. That is how we have been trained to think as Christians in the West. But let me submit to you that this is antithetical to how the early Christians actually showed up in the book of Acts. How we see them in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to, watch this, fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. How many times does it say together and they and meeting and each other's homes and sharing? These ideals come up here. This is an image of what of how they understood the first people, the first Christians understood the faith. Acts chapter four thirty-two says all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Acts chapter 6 You heard me talk about this last week. They were feeding widows and they were solving the problems of inequity with the food distribution together. They saw their faith as something that should manifest not as individualism, but as collectivism. And so I raised the question that I have raised each of the past two Sundays. Can you forsake individualism? For a focus on the well-being of the whole. Rather than asking the question, what about me? Can you instead ask the question, what about us? This is what it means to be a Christian. Let me say this again. This is what it means to be a Christian. I'm sorry if somebody signed you up under some other false premise. I'm sorry, you should go try to get your money back. If, if, if somebody pulled you in with the notion that it was about something else, this is what it means to be a Christian. And so when we talk about even Du Bois, for instance, whether we agree with his ideals of the talented 10th or not, we, we have to acknowledge that within that ideal is this notion of one person being responsible for other people's uplift not just their own. Let me share with you secondly that following Jesus, the liberator, means forsaking limited collectivism. Limited collectivism means I step out of rugged individualism, right? I realize that it's not just about me, that I need other people, and I also need to help other people, but it only goes so far, and it stops at tribalism. So you heard me talk about how they were moving in the book of Acts. They were sharing what they had. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were meeting together daily in the temple courts. They were caring for the needs of anybody they did not have. They were doing all these things, and all was well, but trouble comes. They've got this utopian situation, but then trouble comes. What is the trouble? They had forsaken rugged individualism but they had fallen into limited collectivism. You see, while they had forsaken individualism for the sake of cooperations, they practiced it with tribal preferences. It was like this. They put together this this feeding program. I talked about this last week in the sermon, Leave No One Behind. They put together this feeding program. There's a need. The widows are are without food. So they decide this is a problem that we can solve ourselves. So they put together a food distribution program, but the problem that comes up is it is only the Hebrew widows that are getting the food. The Greek-speaking widows... We're not getting the food. And so the Greek-speaking Christians complain that their widows were being overlooked while the others were getting their fair share. And in this situation, it speaks to a broader theological issue that is at root within a lot of forms of discrimination. It's limited collectivism or selective collectivism it involves casting certain people as within and certain people outside of the, the 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 core of concern it's a part of a whole lot of christians thinking and so that is why a person can feel no dissonance between being a confessing christian but being racist and sexist because when you think about the come up what you really want is a form of like Male patriarchy is what you really want. Or when you think about the come up, what you really want is just for women to come up. It's just the cause of the women. Or when you think about the come up, when you think about equality, what you really want in terms of equality is equality for heterosexuals, but not those who are not. It is this limited collectivism, this decision to create boundaries around who is us, who's in the in group, who's in the out group. This is at the heart of a lot of malformed theology. It, It comes down to how we interpret the word us. Some interpret us rather than as a universal us. It's an exclusive us. And that's what's going on in Acts chapter 6. Perhaps us meant those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ who speak the same language or who share the same culture. And it didn't just stop in the book of Acts. It's happening elsewhere in the New Testament. And it didn't just stop then. Throughout Christian history, you see this same thing playing out This limited collectivism, this inability to view everybody as a part of the tent of kinship. I raised a question to you this morning, who are our kin? Who are our family? Who is our tribe? This is the same question that Jesus raised in the gospel when somebody said, Hey, Jesus, your mom and your brother and your sister are outside. And Jesus says, Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? There he is not throwing shade at his family, but he is providing this idea that the tent of kinship has been expanded now. That we are brought together, tied together by a bond of a different blood. So so in the same way we will fight for our cousins, in the same way that we will hurt somebody for our children, in the same way that we are protective over our spouses, that is now the same way that we look at everybody because we are under the common bond of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. This idea of kinship and identifying who's in and who's out is an ongoing struggle. We have to ask ourselves why we see some people as inside and some people outside of the care the care of family and concern? Why do we see some people as worthy? Why do we see pe- some people as unworthy? Last point about this, I don't want to beat this up too hard. I say this because we got to be especially careful as a congregation of mostly middle class and upper class folks that when we think of us, we do not just think about people that, are, that share the same class status as us same educational attainment. That eat at the kinds of restaurants we like to eat at. That wear the luxury goods that we wear. That live in the neighborhoods that we live in. That can take the vacations that, that we take. Who speak the way that we speak. We got to be careful with that. Because it's easy to fall prey to what has often beset upper and middle class people of color that when we come up, we start to look down on folks who are where we just were a few minutes ago and who are where we will be if, like, a couple of layoffs happened, if if I can just be real. Because you may be middle class, upper class, but many of you, many of us, are still living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. We got to be careful with that. And we have to see ourselves rather as not being better than anybody, but having a responsibility over stewardship that God has given us. I oftentimes think about the fact that I am living for a whole lot of brothers that are behind bars that have not, that that got taken off the field way too early and don't get a chance to live this life. I, I am living for them. Some of you are living for your cousins who don't get a chance to live this life and experience this life that you live. That that is not a brag. That is a weight of responsibility that you should take upon yourself, a responsibility that says I am blessed with a chance to steward resources that God has provided on God's earth. And so now let me think about the weight of that and the gravity of that. What is my responsibility for that? It's got to be more than sharing pictures of me flexing on IG. It's got to be more than that. Let me hurry this thing along. Thirdly and finally, following Jesus the liberator means embracing collective salvation. So I'll leave you with this. What is the antidote to this theology of exclusion or limited collectivism? What is the theology that can truly bring about some kind of social change? I submit to you that it is an authentic theology of collective salvation. One that excludes nobody. One that is not about tribal collectivism, not, not exclusionary collectivism, but truly expanding this kinship as Jesus did in scripture when he said, who is my brother, my mother, and sister? It is all of those who do the will of God. Yet following Jesus, the liberator, means forsaking rugged individualism. It means uh, uh, escaping exclusionary collectivism for collective salvation. Dr. King champions this sentiment. He says that the world is a neighborhood, but it's up to us to make it a brotherhood. He wrote, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. What affects one indirectly affects all, or what affects one directly affects all indirectly. The Apostle Paul agreed with this sentiment. He saw Peter trying to throw shade at Gentiles, and he says, hold on, bro. We, we, we all family here. If, if, if you want to eat over there, that's cool. I just need you to know you out of line and you should come sit at the table with all the rest of us. Because we, we, don't, we don't do that tribal stuff anymore under Christ. Paul tells Peter, I, I see you throwing shade, not wanting to eat with the Gentiles. Come on to the table, bro. Because this table looks like the Lord's table where everybody is invited, whether whether you got table manners or not, whether you are from my culture or not, whether you brought something to the table or not, all are welcome at the Lord's table. Paul wrote to the Galatians, expressing, expressing to them that life as a member of the body of Christ was one where all of those old constructs that had divided people by gender and ethnicity and class status, all of that had been collapsed. Paul says to them now all people are in, who are in Christ are a part of a collective. He wrote to them and said there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. He says no, we are all one in Jesus Christ. So to restate my question, what must we do to be saved? I want to submit to you that we simply have to work together. We have to realize that salvation means more than just our souls being saved. And that's going to require collective work. Now, I say this. Unless you are content going to heaven, but day to day your beloved siblings are living in a figurative hell. If that's you, then let me end this sermon so we can sing God's Got a Blessing with your name on it and go home. <laughs> but for those of us that are interested in more, I've been in church for, I'll be 42 in a, in a few weeks. I've been in church for 42 years. Um, I might have missed the first Sunday coming home from the hospital, but not the second. And if the first Sunday coming home from the hospital would have been the first Sunday, communion Sunday, my mom wouldn't have let me miss that one. But I've been in church for 42 years. I refuse to let it be about individualism any longer. It's got to be more. I, I want to disrupt things. I want to look back at a life lived and see the good trouble that me and co-conspirators of the kingdom of God got into because of what we read in that book. If that that book only soothes your personal anxiety, not that it doesn't have value for that, but it's got to be more than that. If that book only soothes your personal anxiety and makes you feel better and gets you through Tough times, but it has nothing to say for the person who lives in the apartment across the hall. It has nothing to say for the community that you live in. It's nothing to say for the world that you occupy. You can keep it. Give me something better. I want to close with this uh, with this math problem. Can we show this uh, math problem, Shayla? Okay. So here's the deal. Um, for everybody that can solve these problems in 15 seconds or less, I'll give $100. For everybody that can solve, this is sixth grade math, you multiple degreed people. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, wait, you start from the left or the right, which... Let me state it again. For everybody who can solve these problems in 15 seconds or less, I'll give $100. All right? Who's taking me up on it? 15 seconds. Nobody. That's the point. That's the point right there. That is the point right there. Y'all missed it, and he got it. <laughs> the reason y'all so so he said so he. Come here. Let me come. Say what you say it. I want to preach your sermon. You come in. Come and say what you say. No, we each take a problem. We each, each one of us, 15 seconds. Two. I mean, it's enough people for two of us to take a problem. So. Yes. Thank you, brother. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So here's what just happened. Because of how we've all been socialized, we each started thinking about getting a hundred dollars ourselves. <laughs> What do I got to do to get that $100? How can I do this so I can make this $100? What he realized is we can work collectively. And if we work collectively, we all get the answers, and we all get $100. But most of us never thought about that because of how we've been socialized. I just wanted to share that last illustration to push our thinking. We just missed hundred dollars a piece <laughs> because we were trying to figure out if we could get hundred dollars for ourselves. Collective salvation, y'all, not individualism. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for pushing us today, for pushing our thinking, for pushing us to think beyond ourselves about what we can do together I pray that you will take us deeper into this thinking. Let it be second nature for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So I got a quick call to action. The Community Fund, we're wrapping up this campaign on Easter Sunday. So we have less than a month left for this campaign. Some of you have given toward it already. The goal is 45000 Can we get the slide for a community fund uh, campaign as well? The goal is 45000 um, You know, the, mo- the money ain't coming from, you know, some benevolent corporation. This is, this is us, and it needs to come from us. It needs to, there's nothing special about AT&T writing um, um, a check for people in the, in the, in the urban community Um, to to help them do something. There's nothing special about that. I'll tell you what is special. The people in the urban community pool their resources together and they do something that people don't think they can do. And you've done it already. We've gotten on our way, but we need to meet the goal. It's it's 45,000. I ain't got 45,000 to do this campaign. And I think some of you don't have 45,000 either. I got 500 I could put on it. Maybe you got a few hundred you could put on it. Maybe somebody's got 1,000 they can put on it. And collectively, we reach that goal. And it, it's, it is not going for trivial stuff. It's going to help our beloved siblings in Jesus Christ pay down debt. Some of it is debt that they stay up half the night worried about. Why are you worried about solving a problem, a math problem, some math problems by yourself, and we could all just do our little part and we can help you solve it together? Easy. So that's the call to action today is I need you to, if you have not already uh, donated to the community fund, I need you to, I already gave you time to pray. Is 3 I'm not going to say pray about it. Three months of prayer. The Lord has spoken. <laughs> whatever he wanted to say, whatever God wanted to say, God has said, I just need you to just do. And some things you ain't got to pray about. You know, like if, if I'm at the mall and I buy something, I don't pray about that. So I don't know why a donation has to be prayed about. But I need y'all to help help do this. Let's let's figure out an amount. It's income tax time. I noticed the swagger that some people walked in with today. It's it's that time of year. You got a little extra. Consider donating toward the community fund. It's a couple ways. Um, we you can do it through our text to give. You can do it through uh, online. You can actually set it up as a recurring thing. So if you're like, you know what. Put me down for 25 bucks a week, put me down for 50 bucks a week. You can set that up through recurring giving through the website. Um, We also take stock. You can do that through stockdonator.com. Just look for CityPoint there. uh, And then also through our text to give. We can do this. um, Our deadline is April, uh, April 9th to do this, which is Easter Sunday. All right. (laughs)